All right. You guys ready for part B of chapter 5? Excellent. So open your Bibles with me then um, to the book of Galatians. If you are new here, um, we have called this year the year in the Word, and we're just teaching through books of the Bible. And right now we're kind of getting towards the end of studying the book of Galatians, which is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote back to these churches in this region of Galatia, what we call modern-day Turkey. And in that area, people accepted the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, but then these Judaizers came in, and uh, these Jews that were working in the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, and starting to tell these new Christians to add to the gospel. You got to do works along with uh, the gospel. And Paul is now writing to this church and these churches, and he's saying, no, 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 that's not the gospel. And so he's refocusing the churches, and he refocuses us back on the simplicity and the work of Jesus Christ in our life, okay? So there you go. That's a synopsis of the book of Galatians, and we're getting to the fun stuff today, all right? Because the first four chapters, Paul's just been like, uh, the law, don't go to the law, stop doing the law. Like, he just keeps going and going and going, right? The first four chapters, it's like, okay, we get it, we get it, we get it. And we get to chapter five, now he's teaching us, what does it look like? If we're not controlled by the law, then what controls us? As Christians, what, what do we do then if we don't have this external thing telling us all of what we're supposed to do? How do, how do we live? What does that look like? And that's where we're at in the book of Galatians um, this morning. We'll get there in just a, in, in a minute, a couple minutes, okay? Um, some good stuff, man. It's just so, so fun to celebrate things here at New Hope and just all the, just the miracles that God does every day in people's lives. Last week, it was so awesome to celebrate five baptisms, five people coming up and like celebrating. Yeah, we can clap for that. Absolutely. And, and, and proud of you guys that took that step of faith of publicly saying, yeah, Christ is mine. I am with Christ. I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. And that's what baptism is. It's that external, like, here I am. I've been washed clean by the blood of Christ, right? It's the presentation of the gospel through baptism. And, um, and that was so awesome. And there's just so many awesome things that God's multiplying this church. Like we're just, we're growing a lot, which um, is just the work of God in, in your life and in, in our life. And um, I actually, I get these stats and numbers and reports. And one was from YouTube this last week that kind of blew, blew my mind. Those of you who join us online right now or watching this message at a later time, we had over 17,000 minutes of videos watched on our YouTube channel. I'm like, that's a lot of minutes. Holy cow. So a lot of people are, are plugging in and joining us online and watching and re-watching these messages. And we also, if you guys don't know this, we also have a podcast, um, sermons. And so if you've got any kind of podcast app, we're actually listed in all of them. So whether it's Pandora or Amazon or wherever it might be that you look for podcasts, just do New Hope Worcester and you will find our uh, podcast. You can go back and watch while you're driving to work. Watch, you can't watch. Listen while you're driving to work. Don't be that dude with YouTube open up like watching my episode while I'm going. Don't do that. All right. That's just bad. It's just cool to see how God is, uh, is working in people's lives. Now, we are in this series and we're teaching you how to get into your word on your own. And that's why we printed these, the series guides. The book of Galatians, there's physical copies on the tables in between. As you leave, you can grab one of these if you're new with us and want to join us in that. Um, or you can go, those of online in here, you can also go on your phone, mynewhope.tv forward slash Galatians. It takes you to everything that's on this, just on your phone. Um, but we have the reading plan. How many have been doing the reading plan? You guys been getting into God's Word? Awesome. It's been cool to hear people come up and say, okay, I read the chapter this week, and when you preach, I was like, oh, yeah, oh, that was good. And I say, awesome that you're reading it, because the Holy Spirit will confirm in you what He's teaching you, what He teaches all of us together, and that's the way it works. 
I'm not a priest, y'all, all right? So I'm not, I don't have the secret access to God that you don't have. We all have equal access to the heavenly gates, to our heavenly Father, and we all have equal work of the Holy Spirit inside of us, and he wants to work on you and in you personally. So we don't want Sunday to be like your spiritual fix and go, right? We want you to know that God is with you every day. He's speaking to you every day. The Holy Spirit's leading you every day. You can get into his word every day and you can pray and see him move in your life every single day. And we all have that access because of Christ and what we're talking about in the gospel. Isn't that good news? And so that's why we did this. We want to help you do that, okay? Just give you a tool to dig, dig into it. And on the bottom, there's that tear off with the memory verse. How many have been doing your memory verses and, and spending that time? Okay, I'm gonna, we have a test. We're ready for a test. If you're new to New Hope, you're like, I didn't know there was homework. Oh, no. Um, it's okay. You can jump in whenever you want to. But the, this half of Galatians, we're using Galatians 5, chapter, or chapter 5, verse 1, which is the synopsis of the whole book, right? It's the synopsis of the whole book. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to yoke of slavery, right? That's the key thing. All right, so if you have memorized it, I'm not going to say it. I'm going to have you say it out loud, okay? So everybody ready who has this and knows it? Even if you kind of know it, it's okay. First gathering was shotgun. So it was like, all right, now that's okay. You just do your best. Ready? It was for Hey, good job, guys. And it was kind of like, slave, 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 slavery, slavery. That's okay. I, I didn't want to say it. I wanted to hear you guys say it. So that is, that's, that is the key for this whole book that he wrote. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, right? Therefore, keep standing firm in that freedom and do not be subject again to yoke of slavery. Don't go back to the laws, the rules, the regulations. When we talk about Christianity, it's not staying inside these box of rules and regulations. And that's what we're learning through Galatians. It's so much bigger than that. And actually so much more empowering than that. There's freedom when we actually walk in the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to dig into today. Now, before we do that, uh, I want to talk a little bit about heroes and villains before we get into this, okay? Because um, do we have anybody like movies? We've got some movie watchers. Like you just enjoy, some people like really enjoy movies. Like you just you got to watch the next one and that kind of thing. And there's always this theme in almost every movie that you watch. There's always this theme of a hero and a villain. There's something good and there's something bad. And there's the tension in between. That's what makes it a good movie, right? And, uh, and so all throughout history, there's been all sorts of stories told about that tension between the hero and the villain. I, I wanted to just share a couple of these classic villain heroes. Anybody know Perry the Platypus and Doofenshmirtz? Anybody grow up on that? Our fan, we still watch it every Sunday while we eat lunch. We watch Phineas and Ferb. We love it. If you've never seen it, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant show, right? And so you have a platypus that's continuing to, you know, get Doofenshmirtz, who's this evil scientist, and it's, it's awesome. All right, maybe one that you know better, this one, all right? Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader. Anybody know that one? We got any Star Wars fans in the house, right? You're like, the force and the light and the dark and the, right? There's that tension and that hero, villain, and then this relationship attached to it, which is like, oh, you're not my, oh, you're my father. Ah, you know, it's all that stuff going on. What's another one we got up here? Jack Sparrow and Barbosa. Anybody like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, right? Like, so that's a fun kind of, you know, evil, good kind of, kind of a thing as you, as you watch it. You got Jack Sparrow that's always a little, you know, a little drunk and a little whatever. Makes it fun. All right. Gandalf and Saruman, right? You've got some Lord of the Rings fans that, that can spend half your life watching a movie, right? Oh. 
Our whole family likes it, but me. I sit there and fall asleep. But anyways, classic kind of thing. What, what's, uh, what's the next one? Harry Potter is kind of a big one, and Voldemort, you know, all those Harry Potter. There's that light and that dark, the good and the bad. And, and probably the most well-known one of this villain-hero clash is Batman and the Joker, right? In my opinion, the best Batman movie is the Lego Batman movie. I, I don't know if you've watched all the other ones. If you haven't seen the Lego Batman movie, the best version of the Batman, all right? Um, I mean, look at it. That's just hilarious. Just hilarious. So why do we like these kind of movies? Why do we like these kind of stories? Why do we like that tension of like good and evil and, and, and uh, that fight between? And I would say, I think it's because it's written down to the DNA of our lives. Actually, even to our own souls. We live in this tension of good and evil, of dark and light, of that tension of what's good and what's bad, and, and we live it into the depths of our own existence. And so that tension that we see is written into the DNA of the world because that tension actually exists in the spiritual realm as well between God himself and Satan, dark and light. It's all around us. And so we're getting into Galatians, and we see this tension. Paul's going to talk about it this tension of good and evil, this tension between us, and he calls it the flesh or the sin nature, that thing that pulls us away from God, and the Spirit, the Holy, capital S, Holy Spirit, that pulls us towards God in that tension that we live in through our whole life. What do we do with that tension? What does it look like to live in the Spirit? And how do we do that? Okay, so I'm going to read Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13, okay? Last week, we actually did verse 13, in a little bit of it, but we're going to go back and recap as we talk about this tension. Because Paul is pushing against the Judaizers. See, the, the, the Judaizers were the ones that thought they had the corner on how to be with God and stay with God, right? They thought they had the corner on, on, on what to do and how to deal with that tension of good and evil. And their thing was like, well, we'll just make rules around the evil so that people just know that they're not supposed to do them. And they have to, yeah, accept Jesus, but then, then they have to follow all these rules to stay in alignment in that challenge between that good and evil inside of you. Just obey the rules, obey the rules. And Paul's like, that's not how it works. See, the law, the Old Testament law, that was written as a covenant and a part of the covenant that God made with the Jews. He didn't make that covenant in that point of history with the Gentiles. The Jewish law wasn't for all of us. And these Gentiles who were just non-Jews, when they were accepting Christ and they experienced in the whole had then the new covenant, which came through Jesus Christ. Jesus came and fulfilled all the Old Testament, all the old law, which we talked about in the past couple of weeks, right? And when he fulfilled it, he put in place the new covenant, the new work, which is the work of the gospel, forgiveness of sins, being made right, not by our own righteousness, but by God's righteousness being put into our account. Like, we're made right by God, not by us. And he changed the whole story. And so now Paul thinks, you know, these Judaizers who are coming in and saying, well, yeah, you, you know, accept Jesus, but now obey all these laws. And men, you got to get circumcised and you got to do this and all. And it's like, ah, you know, all the, it's like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. We're not led by these externals. Now we're led by something internally. It's completely different. And how do we live into this? Okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's get into this. Okay, starting verse 13. For you were called to what? Remember, like, yeah, thank you. Who did it? Who did it? Yes, so last week it was, you know, we talked about Braveheart. I, that's the way I want you to read this passage, you know? 
When you were called, you were called to freedom, right? We were called to freedom. He said, if you've been called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through what? Love. See, this, this freedom we've been given isn't the freedom just to keep sinning and keep like living out the consequences of sin in a relationship with other people, in a relationship with God. Because whenever you sin, there's going to be consequences. You will never be past the consequences of sin. You'll be, you'll be past the condemnation if you're in Christ. I Meaning you're not condemned before God, you're forgiven, but there's still consequences to our poor choices, right? He says, so don't use your freedom to just continue to indulge the flesh, right? To continue to sin. Instead, you're serving one another in love. He says, for the whole law, all of it, all the, all the hundreds of laws in the Mosaic law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. We talked about this last week. If we live by the law, we're living in the realm where we're trying to one-up each other. Meaning if I'm trying to be better than, and I'm trying to look the part and experience it by looking the part and keeping all the laws— all that is going to produce in somebody else and with me is a sense of rivalry. I'm going to try to get better than you. You're going to try to get better than me. I'm trying to be as good as that person, and we're judging each other by each other. And that's what he's saying. If that's the way you're living, you're just going to be devouring each other. Living by the law and legalism only creates rivalry. It does not create love. The Holy Spirit in freedom lets us move out of rivalry and live in serving one another out of love. Now, these next passages aren't up here. I, they didn't get put on the screen. So I'm going to read them. Read them in your own passage because now he talks about this tension that we're talking about, starting in verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For, those are in, or for these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under. So do you hear that tension? That good and evil tension. It's like, I, I want to be good, but I keep sinning and I keep doing stupid stuff and I keep hurting people and I'm, not, I'm trying to be better. I'm trying, like, we live in that tension of that good and evil, that, that flesh. When he says flesh, it's talking about our sin nature. It's what we in our own sin desire, right? And that can be a whole list of things. It could be our own comfort versus our obedience to God, or it can be our own, um, you know, what we use to soothe ourselves in stressful situations, you know, that our flesh draws us to things, even though they draw us away from God. Whatever that is, that's what he's talking about, that sin nature inside of us. And so when we're talking about the freedom, the freedom isn't for us to keep sinning. The freedom is for us to walk into the freedom that God gives us, and this is what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit walks us into freedom from, number one, sin, and, number two, the burden of the law. So the Holy Spirit walks You accept Him as a sinner. Now, when you accept Christ and you're forgiven, do you keep on sinning? Yes, <laughs> you do. I do. I'm not perfect. Are you perfect? I keep messing up. It's, it stinks, but it happens. And when you're a new believer, you're still going to have that tension even greater because you, you still have that part of your old self alive. You're still, you're still like 
go back to that thing to comfort yourself. You still go back to whatever that sin issue is. It's like, why do I keep going back to that one thing? And the reality is all of us have that one thing. You know what I'm talking about? And it's something different for all of us. Um, that one thing that we are just, for some reason, we go back to. And so we allow the Holy Spirit, when we accept Christ and we, we put our faith in Christ, we allow the Holy Spirit to free us from that sin and start to pull those things out of our life. And the great thing about God and the Holy Spirit, He doesn't do it with a hammer. He does it so graciously, lovingly, and patiently and leads us step by step to put off our old self, to put off those things that are a part of our flesh and our sin nature, and to put on those things look more and more like Christ, that we walk on that journey. This is the big word is progressive sanctification, that God is progressively sanctifying us. He's making us better and better and better. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And he, the Holy Spirit frees us from the burden of the law because now if, if we're without the Holy Spirit, we're without the gospel, then we do and we are bound to the rules, right? And that's what people try to do. I'm going to get to God. I'm a good person. And I'm just going to do my best to be a good person. And when I get to God, I'm going to be like, I'm a good person. As you, say, you can't get there by being a good person. Because inherently, none of us are good enough to be perfect. Only one, Jesus. He was the only one who was man and God who walked in this world sinless. All of us are broken and sinful. And so we can't climb the ladder of goodness to get to God. And so if you want to obey the law, go for it. Do your best to try to be as best as you can to get to God. No, the Holy Spirit frees us from that box of the law. We're no longer controlled by this external thing that's trying to make us good enough. We're controlled by not the law. We're controlled by the lawgiver from inside. The one who helped write the law. <laughs> is the one that's now inside of us. And the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit, he knows everything about you. All of us in this room are different. Every single one of us in this room have a different story. We've gone through different things in our life. You are a unique creation from God. And the Holy Spirit knows for you uniquely those very things that pull you away from God and those things that push you towards God. I would rather have something internally who knows all that and is helping me than something external that I'm trying to live up to. Wouldn't you? That is what he's talking about, this life by the Spirit. He uses kind of these two different words. One is walk in, and then one is led by. Like walk in the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. And it's this imagery of salvation. We're walking into the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's coming into us, and then we're living by the Spirit, which is that sanctification. It's that, that process that God is taking, on, taking us on. It's no longer this moral compass of the law. It's this moral compass of the lawgiver. It's not rules. It's relationship. Remember, I've been saying that over and over again. Rules are easy because it's black and white. Relationships are hard because now I have to know somebody. The reality is you're already known. You are already known by somebody. God already knows you. And he wants you to know him to the level that you are known by him. And that's walking by the Spirit. That's letting God speak to you personally and lead you down that journey and down that road. Now, there may be some objections. There may be some objections. I can't even say it. Objections. Thank you. To this. And I think the Judaizers in this time would also have some objections because they'd be like, 
if we're not controlled by the external law, doesn't that just create anarchy? We've got to have rules, right? Or everybody should do whatever they want. Or maybe the tension would be, would be like this. If isn't being led by the Holy Spirit, isn't that just kind of the same thing as just being led by your conscience? Right? Because we all have a conscience. Like, whether you are a believer or not, there's something inside of you that gives you this sense of right and wrong and what is right and what is wrong. Everybody has it. I would say, uh, apart from those who have, like, deep mental illnesses, there, uh, there are some people who have, have, you know, actual physical things that they struggle with. But I'm saying majority of us, we have this moral kind of compass, this conscience in our head that tells us not to do something and what to do and what's okay to do, right? Now, our conscious, if, if this is just being led by our conscious, the conscious and the Holy Spirit are two very different things, okay? So when we think about our conscience, if we're being led by our conscience, our conscience is developed and created over time. This is psychology and sociology, right? So um, our conscience is developed by the culture we live in, meaning whatever culture you have grown up in um, will determine some of the things that you believe are right and wrong, right? Like you can, you can grow up in a certain country and that country has a certain cultural piece that believes a very specific thing that is right and wrong that then you'd go to another culture and they'd be like, no, 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 that is not it at all. That's always wrong. But this one would say, no, it's, it's right. It's okay. And you'd be led by your conscience based upon culturally what you've experienced and grown up in. That's just a fact. That's just how it works. Now you take that to another level. We all have families, right? We all grew up in family circumstances. And each one of our families, the, the, the miracle about families, every single family has its own culture, right? You go to different houses, every house is going to be different because it's a different group of people living in that house, learning how to live together. And they create their own little subculture in this bigger culture that they live in. So every single family maybe even has their own conscience, what's right and wrong, that differs from the bigger cultural context of conscience. And so if you go to this family, they may say, well, we don't do this, but we do this and we don't do that. And so they may have their own things that they have developed and this is right and this is wrong. The other piece of consciousness also can be very easily swayed by emotion, by feelings. Now, there's nothing wrong with feelings. God gave us feelings. Feelings are good. But with a conscience, if we thought one way, one way, this was good and this was bad, and then our emotions lead us down a pathway where we change that, and now we say, well, no, that, I think it's all good, actually, for that, whatever that circumstance is. Because your feelings might have drawn you to a different conclusion in the end. And I'm telling you, feelings are fickle things, right? So when we're talking about being led by our conscience, it's completely different than being led by the Holy Spirit. Our consciences will change depending on our culture, our family, our emotions. The Holy Spirit never changes, okay? When the Holy Spirit speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks what's already been spoken by the Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit will always be in alignment with what's already been said in the Scriptures, and the Holy Spirit will always bring what is in heaven to earth as it already is. Does that make sense? And so the Holy Spirit isn't led by your emotions. The Holy Spirit actually guides our emotions back to truth and leads us back to God. So it's very different when we learn to be led by the Holy Spirit versus being led just by our conscience. So if you have the objection, isn't this being led by our conscience? No, it's not. Because culturally, all throughout this world, some culture may say, this is right, but this is wrong, where God and the Holy Spirit would say, no, this is always wrong. No matter what culture you come from, 
because it aligns up with God's word and aligns up with the kingdom of heaven. And the Holy Spirit won't be swayed by how we feel about it. The Holy Spirit will lead us into the truth that God has already put in that circumstance. So we need to be very careful when we're talking about being led by the Spirit because the Spirit will always produce the things that are of God. Our consciences may align with the Holy Spirit, but a lot of times our consciences lead us back into the flesh. Lead us back to the sin and the sin nature and the thing that we're comfortable in because that's the way I've always done it or that's the way I've always responded or that's, that's that kind of stuff. Does that make sense? And the other argument might be, well, if, if we're being led by the Spirit and we don't have these rules and laws, doesn't that just give an open door for people just to do what they want and then call it the Holy Spirit? I don't know if you've ever had this, somebody come up to you and say, God told me. And then they tell you, like, God told me to do da-da-da-da, and then they, like, say something, and God, God said to me, da-da-da-da-da. I'm telling you, the moment somebody says, God told me, my, my Holy Spirit antennas go up. Okay, let me discern if this was God or if it wasn't. Because those are very potent words um, to say. Um, because I've met people like that. You've probably met people like that. Usually when people say that, um, it's, it's usually, I want to be careful here. There have been many times, how about, I'll say it that way. There have been many times when I've had people say, God has told me to, that really the, the, the heart of what they were about to say was, I want to, dot, dot, dot. Because the moment you say, God told me to, you can't argue that, can you? It actually becomes a very controlling conversation. If I say, well, God told me that you're supposed to, dot, 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 dot. Who am I to tell you what God told me to tell you to do? Now, what, what might come out of my mouth might be good. It may have been aligned with Scripture. But a lot of times when people say that, they are saying it out of control and manipulation. And they're usually trying to justify something that they're going to do, even though it doesn't line up with what God has already said to do. Exactly. So, so we need to be very careful in this, because when somebody starts saying that, we have the Holy Spirit in us as Christ followers, meaning we can discern what is being said and ask ourselves the question, is this actually from God or is this from the flesh? Is this from something that the Spirit is actually doing and working in, or is this something that is from the sin nature in the individual that they're trying to work in and justify? So now I'm going to talk about attention, all right? Another tension. And a lot of tensions we live in through this. Because um, here's the tension. I believe it is okay, biblically, to judge the actions of an individual based upon the fruit you see in that person's life without being judgmental in the circumstance. Does that make sense? Meaning, being judgmental is a different attitude. A judgmental person is looking at somebody as lesser than them. I'm judging you because I'm better than you, or I would have done that differently. That's judgmentalism. That is not of God. That is of our flesh considering ourselves better than somebody else. 
We need to understand, first and foremost, that attitude is wrong because we're all equal and even at the foot of the cross. We are all sinners needing grace, okay? You can actually, though, have discernment and judge the actions of somebody and see what is actually coming out of them to then discern, is this from God or is this from sin nature? Okay, you all with me? So there's that tension that we live into when, when we're talking about this because when somebody comes and says, God told me to or God said dot, 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 dot. My first question is, would be this. What is the fruit of the thing that they're talking about? What is it going to produce? Like if somebody comes up to me and says, uh, Pastor Tim, I feel like God told me to divorce my spouse because I'm just not happy and, and this is not working out and God told me to do that. Got lots of questions. And they start sharing a little bit more about what's going on. And, you know, I, I'm just not happy. It just, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I, I, you know, this, God told me that we're gonna, supposed to get a divorce. I'd be like, okay, now here's the thing. If I look at the fruit of that conversation, number one, the Holy Spirit will never speak against what he's already said. Meaning, God, if you say God told me to, but that thing you say next is actually in opposition to what God has already said in his scriptures, he didn't tell you. That's probably yourself, your sin nature, your self-protection. There's, there's other issues going on. And those issues are real, and you can work through those issues if you want to, or you can justify them by saying, no, God told me so, right? Because there's only, for, in the New Testament, I only see one biblical reason for divorce, and that is for marital unfaithfulness. One of you having an affair, and that's the only exception that I see biblically for that to happen. And we would have a conversation about that. What would that mean? What would that look like? But just making a flat-out statement, God told me, and it's against what God already said, you already know that's not of the Spirit. Does that make sense? That's of the flesh. If you see that thing that they're talking about, God told me to, but you see the fruit that's coming on the other side or the thing that's pouring out of them is, is not godly. It's not love. It's not patient, kind. It's not, um, it's not producing the works or the, the, it's not producing the fruit of the spirit on the other end of whatever that issue is. It's actually producing something that looks more like sin. Then it's not the Holy Spirit. You can look at the fruits and see what's going on in the root of that circumstance in their life. And I'm saying it's okay to use discernment and, and judgment to see that circumstance. So when you're, when you're talking about, well, if we're just led by the Spirit and not rules, because rules are easier. They're just black and white. Don't do this, do this. Boom. If you do that, you're wrong. If you do this, you're right. Like, that's easy. But no... with our Heavenly Father, right? It takes another level of faith and trust that He's speaking and that He's already spoken in His Word. And we know His Word and we know the Holy Spirit and we're hearing God. We have a different level of discernment in each one of those circumstances so that we can say, that doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit. That sounds like you. Let's talk about that more. Right? This is the beauty of the work of the Holy Spirit. We can have God's discernment in our own sin, in our own choices. We can have God's discernment in relationship with other people 
so that we can then learn to live out not our sin nature, but the fruits of the Spirit in relationship with other people. Okay? All right, where are we? Verse 19. Everybody ready to get awkward? Yeah? Everybody say, yeah. Let's get awkward, Tim. Here we go. Because now he's talking about freedom, but now he has a list of sins. You're like, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about rules, Paul, and now you're giving like these rules? What's, what's this about? He said, well, this is the discernment between the work of the flesh and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about when he gets to this passage. And, and so he says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. He's like, they're just obvious. The deeds of our sin nature are obvious, which are, and he starts with the big one, sexual immorality, right at the top. Thanks, Paul. Boom. Let's get awkward. All right, here we go. Because honestly, I, I, when you read a lot of the passages, a lot of the New Testament, and a lot of the writings, and Paul and a lot of these letters, that is the big one. Sex is the thing that is most distorted by the world and by our sin nature that actually creates the most harm in relationship with other people and even in our own emotions. It's the big one. And it's the big one that most churches don't talk about. It's just like, well, that's just personal. It's like politics. We don't talk about sex or politics. or you know, We don't talk about this kind of stuff. It's like, we need to talk about this kind of stuff because when the, I, the percentage of people in this room or hearing my voice right now who have been exposed to or have experienced pain attached to sex and sexuality, it's huge. And the, and the reality is those acts either were done, done to you or you with somebody else or whatever it might be, have been things that the enemy has used over and over and over again in your life and created things in you emotionally, relationally, that the enemy loves to go back to all the time. It's the most distorted thing that creates the most pain. And so when we see this picture of God's design, God's creation, what he decided in the very beginning with Adam and Eve that the two would become one flesh, it was the beautiful imagery of absolute intimacy. Body, soul, spirit, one. And what the world has said is, you can have that oneness with whoever, and you can come and go with it, and it can be like this, or it can be like this, or it can be however you want it to be, and it's good. But it's not. This word, this Greek word, sexual immorality, is this word perneia. It's the Greek word. Sound familiar? Where we get our root word porn, pornography. It's the exploitation of sex. It's anything outside of God's design for sex and sexuality, which is inside the marriage relationship of a husband and wife. That is God's design. That's what that sexual purity is. And sexual immorality is anything outside of that. And that means looking at pornography. That means masturbation if you're single. That means a sleeping around with others. That means same-sex sexuality being lived out. All those things are outside of God's design. Now, I, I, and I preach that stuff and I need you to hear this very clearly, my heart to yours, okay? I preach that because nobody preaches it, and the ones that do preach it, preach it with anger. And it's like, why are you preaching and blowing people away with your anger? That's not helping anybody. That's you being a legalist saying, you did it, and you're doing this wrong, and you're doing that wrong, and you screwed up sexually, and you did. It's like, why are you doing that? No, God is up there saying, I know this is messy, and I know it's messy, and I know, like, you've been hurt this way and that way, and I see all that, but I love you. I love you. I want to be with you. Put those aside. That's who God is. He invites you into a relationship with him despite all this list of sin. 
That's the point of the gospel. We've been forgiven and accepted. So no matter what of these things I'm going to talk about that you struggle with, you need to learn from the very offset of me talking about this list. God loves you. He forgives you. He wants to be with you. And there's nothing that can make you dirty enough to be separated from him. That's God. And he says, if I have saved you and I've loved you that much and I've given you my son to die on the cross so you can be forgiven for now and for eternity because I love you so much, why would you want to stay over here in the flesh? Why would you want to stay over and continue to sin in ways that are apart from me and my word and my work of the Holy Spirit? Why would you want to do that? The motivation isn't guilt. The motivation is love. And so he loves us by the power of the Spirit to put off these things and to put on the things that look more and more and more like God himself. And so when Paul is writing this list, he's saying these things are obvious. Our sin nature, we know it. You know yours. I know mine. I know the thing that I go to. I know that I don't know the things. I know some of the things you go go to, but you know the things you go to that still don't look like God. And so he keeps going with the list. He says impurity, indecent behavior. We know these. Idolatry. That was a big one in the Ten Commandments. He's like, don't worship other things. Just worship me. God is a jealous God. He paid a lot to be with you, and he just wants you to be with him. He says, so don't bow down and worship other things, which means don't put other things before God. And we all do it, though. We all have idols in our hearts, right? Money, power, greed, sex, whatever it might be, selfish ambition. Like, we put other things, and we desire those things more than we desire God himself. That's an idol. He says, don't do that witchcraft. This, now, you're, now you're dabbling not just in, like, sin. Now you're dabbling in sin and darkness. You're letting the demonic enter into your life, which you will have no control over when it enters in. There's no just like getting out of that. He says, hostilities, strife, jealousy. That's a big one in our culture, in the consumeristic world we live in. I want this, and they have that, and I don't. Outbursts of anger, just selfish ambition, dissensions and factions. This is a big one. This is that spirit of division. I've seen that in so many churches. So many churches where there's this spirit of division. And that is not the Holy Spirit. That's not Jesus. Jesus prayed we'd be one. We'd be united. God, let them be one as you and I are one. Whoa, that's, the, that's what the church is supposed to look like. But then you have these churches and you have the enemy gets in and, well, I don't like the way they did this and I don't like the way they did that and I believe this about this doctrine and then all these divisions come in and start splitting and that's the work of the flesh and sin nature and I believe that's actually the work of the enemy that he does in people's lives. Envy, again, drunkenness, carousing and things like these. So, and he goes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? He's like, and you guys know what, what these things are, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who, listen to this, be careful, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. He got real serious right there, didn't he? He said, here's the list. This is what the flesh looks like. Those that live in that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is he saying when he says that? Because that's a scary statement, isn't it? Let me try to explain what he's meaning when he's saying that. We have these two natures at work within us, the sin nature and the nature of God, the Holy Spirit. There is a big difference between 
living in sin and falling into sin. Does that make sense? Let me walk into this. You can be accepted, forgiven, put your faith in Christ, and have a relationship with God and still fall into sin. Still go back to some of this stuff, right? Now, I, this is what I see in Scripture. This is the way I interpret it. People interpret it differently, but I interpret it this way. That your salvation isn't at risk the moment you sinned against God if you're already a child of God. There's consequences to those choices all the time. It'll hinder your relationship with God, and most likely it will hinder a relationship with somebody else because of that sin issue. But the moment you ask for forgiveness, you're already forgiven. So you can be a Christ follower and still struggle with sin. You don't lose your salvation every time you sin. Boy, that, that actually, if that's the life, now you're going back to the law, right? I did okay today. I'm right with God today. I kept the rules. Oops, I, I, I didn't obey that rule. I'm not good with God. I got to get back over and be good again. Like that's what he's, Paul's saying, that's not how it works. That's not how God works. He's saying, but if, if you're somebody who just lives in sin, most likely you're not a part of the kingdom of heaven because the Holy Spirit isn't doing anything in your life. You're just living for you. And that is the condition of all of us before we put our faith in Christ. We are all living independently on our own, either one of two things. One, we're just continually indulging ourselves in the sin, and we're okay with it. And we're just, that's just life. We're just going with it. Or we're, we're trying to be good enough to one day when I see God, I'm just trying to be a good person, he'll be okay with me. Either way that goes, we're still doing it out of our own power, out of our own flesh, and we won't get there on our own. And so if your life is led by your sin nature, meaning if that is where you always live, that is the thing that, that you just, you're just there, um, it's a sign you are not a part of God's kingdom yet. I throw that yet in there, okay? Because <laughs> it doesn't mean you can't be a part of God's kingdom. Like I said earlier, whoever is over here, God died for, loves, and invites no matter what they are doing, no matter what sin, no matter what situation, no matter what, God invites us all to a relationship with him. That's the yet, right? But if you're somebody or you see somebody who is continually just living in sin, they choose it, they live into it, they walk into it, their conscience is okay with their life, they're not a part of the kingdom of heaven because the Holy Spirit doesn't allow us to just stay here if we've received the salvation, if we've received the Holy Spirit, he will start working and convicting and growing us and helping us understand this is wrong. I need to put this off and move closer to God. And he'll continue to do that lovingly and patiently. So Paul, as he's making this list, he says, those who just live in it, they're not a part of the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit isn't working in their life. But they can be. Let me talk about this, how, how this works, because there's two natures inside of us, right? The first one is we're born of the flesh with the sin nature. When we're born into this world, sin is already in this world. We're born into the sin nature. You don't have to teach a, a two-year-old to throw a tantrum, do you? You don't have to teach a kid to steal another kid's toy. You don't have to teach a kid to hit another kid on the playground. It just comes out of them. 
Welcome sin nature, right? Like we have the sin nature inside of us from the very beginning because this world is a broken world. Sin has already entered into it. And so if that's the world we live in, that is what he's saying. That's where we're at. We are just living in our sin nature. We may not be evil people. I mean, I know some Christians who are way nicer than Christians. People who don't know God, don't go to church, somewhere, but they're like good people. Like they're nice. I know some Christians who say they're Christians who are really bad people, <laughs> who do things that I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And, and so like we get into that tension. So before you knew God, that's where you lived. You just lived in your sin nature because that's who you were. That's who, I, that's who we are. But then Jesus comes along and he says to us, you need to be born. Conversation early on in the Gospels with the priest Nicodemus. He tells him, the kingdom is coming. You need to be born again. He's like, what is that? I gotta go back to my mom and come back. That's weird. Like, what are you talking about? And he's like, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. You were born with a sin nature. You need to be born again with a God nature. You need God inside of you, a new life given to you. You're born again into God's nature and the spirit comes in. It starts to change you. That's what it looks like when you become a part of the kingdom of heaven. So we aren't given this new nature and forgiveness then to continue to just stay here in sin. I don't have it on my... um, on my TV, but Romans, you can write this down and go and read it if you want to. Romans chapter 6. Paul, probably one of the most theologically um, deep uh, books of the Bible. Romans 6, this is what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin or continue in sin so that grace may increase? Meaning if I'm saved, I'm already forgiven. Well, if I just stay over here in the sin nature, like, doesn't mean like grace is, I get more grace right? It's like, no, 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 no. It says, far from it. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. You see this imagery? So you too, in verse 11, so you too consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When we are adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom of heaven, we are adopted not to continue just to stay stay here in our sin nature. We're adopted to become more like the Father. And so we put our old self to death on the cross, just as Christ died on the cross that visual representation of baptism is we're buried with Christ and then we're raised again to new life. That's that new birth in Christ Jesus. And when we're raised again, we are raised again to not live into sin, but to live free from it. The Holy Spirit would be working in us to walk us from and out of sin more into Christ's holiness in our life. Does anybody know this tension? I mean, this is like deep stuff that we wrestle with in our Christian faith. And I love that Paul is just trying to get to the heart of it. Stop trying to earn it. You've been given it, now live in it. That's it. I gotta hurry up. Okay. So then he gets to the good stuff. Because once you start living by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit changing you 
molding you, putting the old self off, putting the new self on, we see this fruit that comes out of us. Whatever we're rooted in will produce fruit in our life, right? If we're rooted in the Holy Spirit, it's gonna, He is going to produce fruit in our life. What is the fruit that comes out of us just naturally? So this was the other memory verse, right? So let's read this to the end. Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He's saying you don't have to have a rule to be patient. The law says be patient. He's like, you don't have to make a rule about it. There's no laws against this stuff. You just do it. The Holy Spirit does it in you, actually. This isn't works. Work it up to get patient enough. Work it up to be loving. Work it up. Like, no, this isn't the law. He said, when you let the Holy Spirit change you, this is the stuff that just comes out of you. This is that transforming stuff. Is this all good stuff, y'all? Spirit is love. Again, first and foremost in the kingdom of heaven is love. Love each other. Love God. Joy. Who needs a little more joy? And joy goes beyond happiness. Happiness comes and goes with circumstances. Joy is in you for the season of the good and the bad. You can have joy in God, peace. Oh, man, do I want more peace in my life. Patience, kindness, goodness. These are all great things. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I love that if we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, it is no longer us controlling self. That's the law. Us controlling self is do, don't do, do, don't do. Holy Spirit change me from the inside out, the lawgiver inside of me. Now, he is controlling self. The self-control isn't based upon will, and I can do this, and I can stop sinning. It's based upon the Spirit saying, no, I'm going to help you. We're going to get some self-control in the house so that you don't feel like you have to go back to that thing, whatever that is. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let me keep reading. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, just like in Romans 6. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's live by Him and follow Him. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. Another warning at the very end of chapter 5. Don't see the fruit of the Spirit and be like, well, they have more fruit than I do. I need more fruit. I'm going to do more to get more fruit. It's like, ow! Don't envy each other's fruit. Just live by the Spirit and let it come out of you. That's what he's saying at the very end. When we let the Spirit's fruit come out of us, oh, we get to experience what I think what heaven looks like. I think heaven's going to be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think that's heaven. We get to experience a little bit of heaven in this broken earth. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me the opportunity to experience a little bit of heaven. See, as you let this work out in your life, the more the Holy Spirit changes you, the more love and grace you're going to show to others. Meaning, the, the work of the law, the whole point of it is to love God and love others. If you let the Holy Spirit do it, you're going to actually get better love and better grace because you're receiving it first. And then you're giving what you've already received. Now, if you want to go deeper into the fruit of the Spirit, we did a sermon series in 2019. That sermon series was called 
the fruit of the Spirit. All right, so you can, you can go Google New Hope, Fruit of the Spirit, all right, on YouTube. Uh, you can go on there and watch that whole series. We dug into each one of those things really deep. And, um, and so I just give that. If you want some homework, there's some homework um, to do that. You can go deeper into those throughout the week uh, to get into it. But I want us to be a people that look more like heaven. Now, we're going to, in a moment, we're going to take communion. And, um, and communion is this amazing reminder that we did not pay for the, the Spirit. We didn't pay for salvation. It was paid for by God and His Son. And I, I want us, in a moment, Pastor Jim's going to lead us through that time. I just want us to have such a thankful heart that we've been saved and our salvation's through faith when Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. I just want to take just two seconds to pray for us. So let's just take a moment of response. God, thank you for your word. I know it never returns void. It always goes out and, does, and accomplishes what it wants and that your spirit is alive and active, enlightening and teaching us your word. And so this morning, all of us need to hear something different. Those of us this morning, God, who have been holding on to um, the things of the flesh, we've been holding on to those things that look like that list maybe, and, and we keep going back to them to comfort ourselves or to, to run away from circumstances, whatever it is we use it for, that today we would confess those things to you before we take communion and that we would ask for your forgiveness for those sins, knowing full well that when we ask, you, you forgive us immediately. I pray today, God, that somebody would choose to fully give you that, not just temporarily or momentarily, but they would surrender that sin issue in their life to you at the cross. Holy Spirit, only you have the power to convict us, to change us, to reveal those things in us. So during this time of response, Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to work. Those of you in this room that do not know God yet. Maybe you're here and you're like, whoa, this is, you felt like you're drinking from a fire hose of God or something today. <laughs> you're kind of like, what is all this? I, the simplicity of it all is this. God sent his son to die on the cross to pay for your sin because sin has a cost and it's our life. But the reality is we can't pay for our own sin before God. We can't be right and good and perfect before God. Jesus sent his son to die on the cross which paid the penalty of our sin and then puts in us the deposit of his righteousness. So Jesus makes us right before God as if we have not sinned. And when we confess by faith that Jesus is the Son of God and that he did that for you, we're told <laughs> that we start a relationship with God and we're forgiven. If you want to do that, I'm going to pray. Um, I always say there's no magic words of the pastor. If you believe in faith and want to start that relationship with this God who loves you and knows you, you can pray and you can take communion today. Communion is for those who have accepted Christ. So if you have not done that yet, you can, you'll stay in your seat in a moment. And that's okay. You're not judged here. 
But if you want to start that relationship, you can pray and you can confess in faith. So if that's you, you can just say this, something like this. You say, God, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins. Please forgive me of all my sins, God. I want you to enter into my life. I want your Holy Spirit to be in me. I want to be yours now and forever. I want to be your son or your daughter. Thank you for loving me. I know I don't deserve it. But thank you for giving it. So I give you my life. My faith is in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And God, for all of us, just in this time of response, as we take communion, just lead us in your presence. Amen.